Hi and welcome to another episode of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time at the Page One Podcast, we'd like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process and how they broke into the industry and just explore their work. Yeah, it's all about really how writers write and the tips that they can give to everyone out there listening to make everyone a better writer. Yeah, really we started this because we want to steal all these ideas yes. for ourselves, <laughs> but we thought we should share them with you guys as well. It's less um, obvious if we share it with other people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, this week we've got uh, Abby Lynn Knorr, who's a young adult author, uh, also uh, self entirely self-published. Yeah, 19 books in three years she's put out, which is a hefty... I mean, I can barely write one book in, in three years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's right. And she's made a massive success of yeah, it, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I think if any listeners out there are going down the Kindle Unlimited route, thinking of doing it yourself, you'll get a lot out of this episode today. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's unusual in the sense that we've spoken to a lot of traditionally published authors, but Abby's go- chosen to completely shun the traditional publishing, actually. It's a deliberate decision on her yep. part, and she's made a massive success of it. So we talked to her about that, about how to market self-publishing book, and also about her writing process, she's got a bit of an unusual process yeah. as well. She doesn't always write in a linear manner. But we talked to her about that and more, so we hope you enjoy the chat. Um, so you always enjoyed writing since you were a kid. Yeah, I always have. I've written for as long as I can remember. My mom taught me to read when I was three. Um, and my dad teases me that I could read better then than I can now because I used to read out loud to them. Right. And, uh, and I could pronounce all these like big words that I had no idea what they meant. And I have always loved story and I loved it in all its forms, whether it was movies or plays or books or um anything really I loved it all and I always I always wanted to be a writer but I never really thought it was possible um I just thought it would be a really big uphill battle and I'd have to jump through all these hoops and when I finally got through those hoops I'd have no money in the end of it (laughs) you know be the kind of traditional suffering writer (laughs) um so I I always nursed the dream and I kind of like tended it in my dark hours <laughs> and, and wrote um wrote in the closet for so to speak um while i was doing this other career i had a marketing career in um how long, in how long did you do that for i did that for eight years um wow. previous to that i i did i did i was working at a magazine when i was in my 20s and i was trained as a dancer and so i did that a little bit and but always just writing, I, I always read a ton and I always wrote just for the joy of it and to think that maybe one day I would finish a book. And, and if I finished that book then and somebody read it and enjoyed it, that would be, you know, a huge thing for me. Yeah. Um, and so when I, I did marketing, I worked for a bath and body company in uh, a small town in the Rockies in, in Alberta. And I worked for these um, this married couple, uh, wonderful entrepreneurs, and they taught me so much while I worked with them that I, even to this day, I know that if I hadn't done that stint of eight years doing this marketing work, I wouldn't be nearly as successful today at my author business as I am. 
So I have, I have a lot. I feel like I went through university kind of. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> when I started listening to podcasts, I was looking for, um, uh, I was looking to start my own company. I became kind of entrepreneurial through this experience and I knew that I love storytelling, but I still didn't know this was in 2016. I still had no idea that self-publishing was really a thing that you could, you know, be successful at. Mm-hmm. I kind of had the old mindset where I was like, if it's not trad, then it doesn't count. And it's probably bad anyway. There's a reason that you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had all those old ideas and I started listening to podcasts. And my the, one of the podcasts was... Um, called Smart Passive Income. And uh, on it was a guest talking about Michael Anderley. And he had such an interesting story that I started doing a bit of research about Michael Anderley. And I was absolutely blown away by what he had done with his um, Vampires in Space series, because that's the one he started with. And I was like, Vampires in Space? Really? Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. There's like people really hungry for this stuff. and And I started reading some of his work and I really enjoyed it. And that led me to branch out and read more indie authors and just kind of, I was, I became this starving for information person that just, I consumed everything I could find on indie publishing. And I was amazed by some of the stories that I heard, the success stories. And um, in a very short period of time, I went from, I don't really know what I'm going to do to this is what I have to do because I, you know, just, it just brought my old dreams to the forefront and set them on fire. And I was like, I can do this. I'm capable of doing this. I can tell a story. At least I think I can. And I have this marketing background with the two, two combined. I feel like I can make a go of it. So, and did you, did you have a, <clears throat> did you have stuff that you'd worked on that you wanted to publish then or, or did you sort of start from scratch at that point? I, it- I did have work that I had worked. I had kind of produced over the years, but um, it wasn't what I ended up publishing. That work is kind of stuffed back in its box and it's a um, kind of a post-apocalyptic dystopian story. And I ended up going towards a more urban fantasy mm-hmm. um, genre because I grew up loving everything to do with oceans and maritime history, nautical history, shipwreck stories, pirate stories. Mer- I wanted to be a mermaid. <laughs> <when> I, was- <laughs> um, I thought just everything to do with the underwater world. I loved it. And I, I always had these fantasies when I was a kid. That if you were a mermaid, um, it's not even about being a mermaid. It's more about the ability to breathe underwater un- unencumbered by all of the equipment and everything that you need as a human being to survive down there and explore what's under there. Cause there's ancient cities and, you know, millions of shipwrecks literally from all different eras and there's amazing um, natural wonders. And so I, I fed that dream and started writing a mermaid story. And um, that story took me about nine months to write. And I, I had let my freelance contracts cause at that time I was doing freelance work I let those contracts expire because I knew that if I was splitting my time, I, I wouldn't be able to produce as fast as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So some people are able to juggle family and full-time job and writing. And I just bowed to those people. I wasn't able to do that. I And I was lucky in a way because I, I had no partner. I had no pets. I had no plants to keep alive. Even. <laughs> I could just focus on what I wanted to do. And I was living up in Northern Italy um, in a friend's villa. She had two apartments in her villa and she just invited me. She's like, well, don't go back to Canada because I was in Italy when all this was happening. 
don't go back to Canada and get a job. Just come up here and live with me and write your books. And I was like, I'm wow. silly to say no to that. So, um, <laughs> where, in, where in Italy was it? It was in the Alto Adige region okay. in the north, yeah, yeah. in the Pantino. So it was a beautiful um, valley with mountain biking and apple orchards everywhere and skiing and hiking. And it was, it was wonderful. And the family I was um, staying with was wonderful. And um, I just, I wrote my first three books in their home, wow. basically. Good for inspiration, that area, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it was so inspiring. Yeah. And I was able to, you know, kind of maintain my health because writers you guys all know, um, suffer from sitting in front of the computer for too many hours of the day. And then your body starts to hurt and, you know, you're fighting this, like, I'm on a roll. I don't want to stop, but I really need to go and just get some fresh air. Otherwise I'm going to become this like weird creature that never leaves the whole <laughs> And so, so did you, you, you kind of skipped over the whole agent stuff then? Did you even try with that? Or did you say, no, this is that I don't want to go down that path at all? Yeah, it's weird. I, I actually didn't even try. I thought, cool. because I, I kind of, after all this research that I did, my I went through this big mental shift where I realized that people were doing this professionally. They were baking a living at it and they were producing high quality work. And if you wanted to, if you had the skills and you wanted to do the marketing aspect of it, and I did have those skills, luckily, um, then why go through the delay, like the long process of trying to find an agent, which could take two years, that agent trying to sell your work, which could take two years. And then once it's on a roster, it could take another two years just to get it published. Yep. Your royalties were a lot smaller and there's no guarantee they publish book two or even give you a big marketing budget. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of said, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. And maybe, you know, if I ever change my mind and want to pursue trad, then at least I can bring reader a readership with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it when, I mean, how did, how did you find it when you first launched the book then? I was so blown away by, um, the response that my, my books got. I, I public I wrote three books before I published anything. And because I was, I basically didn't do anything but write for a full year. And, um, cause I had to figure out my process. Everyone's process is different. Mm-hmm. And, I didn't know what I was doing and I more than once got into trouble with a story and had to tear the whole thing apart and, you know, reorganize it. And I had to think about this is going to be a series. How does the series work? Cause it's a lot, a nonlinear series. I didn't write book one that would lead into book two, book three, book four. I wrote five books that you could read as a book one, each one. So it was a totally different um, setup than kind of what's normal. That's the, is this the elemental series? Yeah. Elemental so you, you yeah. can actually enter that series at any point through books one to five and you should read book six last, but um, it gave me a way of market, some, giving something fresh to send traffic to. And it didn't matter if they read book one or not. So I could cycle through promotions with those five mm-hmm. books while I was producing the last book. Just to focus on that, just in case people don't know, but sure. um, the, the, the story is it's these five friends, basically, that have an amazing summer, essentially. They all go somewhere else, and yeah. uh, they all end up with these powers. Is that right? And and, right. and you can, and the, in each book, there's references to what's happening to the others. Exactly, but, but like yeah, you say, you can pick up any one first and just just get. That's right. That you get yeah. to know um, the other characters through the girls texting their friends, mm-hmm. and you kind of get hints that something is happening with the other girl, but you don't know what that is. You just get these little hints, and so the idea is that you know, as you're reading the story of Born of Fire, you're getting some ideas of what's happening with water and earth. And once you've read one 
and you start to read the others, you're like, oh, I know what's happening yeah. with that character. And you kind of get let in on the secret the more you read. Yeah. So, so how do you, I mean, I mean, how do you plan something like that? You know, how do you make sure all those five books sync up or do you kind of, do you leave so much of it open that you say, well, I can, whatever that is, I can write that later on and it won't matter because it'll fit in. Yeah, there's definitely an element of being a bit cryptic and um, vague <laughs> when you're initially writing the story. But you can always go back once you know what is yeah. happening with those others. Because I, I wrote the first three books not knowing the plots of the next three books, just having a very rough idea. And so I, I, I kept it open, but I also dropped little hints of things that I knew I wanted to use. So there was enough there that the reader was getting um, an idea. And obviously they knew that it, I was going to cover all five yeah. of the elements. And so they had, you know, rough ideas of what that was going to be like. In that process where you're, you, so you've decided, right, I'm going to self-publish these. And you, did you drop all three books at once or did you do, did you drop the space them out? I didn't, uh, but close. I did kind of a rapid release. So I launched my first book in December of 2016 and book two was out, I think, about a month later, and then book three was about, uh, I don't remember exactly, but probably about a month later as well. And, and in that process, if you went down the, the traditional route, you would have an editor and you'd be getting proofs and going, you know, all of that sort of process. Did you show uh, your work to other people? Did you get? Did you hire an editor, anything like I that? I did, yeah. I actually paid a lot for my first editor because I just, I wasn't aware of kind of, all the options that were out there and she did a fantastic job. She was worth it. It was just um, too heavy for my budget at the time because I was just getting started. So I paid quite a lot for book one. And then I realized I can't sustain this um, at, at this point in my career. So then I switched to another editor for books two and three and then, and they all, it all went really well. Um, those books went through at least three cycles of editing Usually I go through a developmental edit just with the story part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I go through um, two two rounds of copy editing. But through launching those stories, I found a reader who was really passionate about my, my work. And she is also wanting to start her editorial career. So we made a, um, an agreement that worked for both of us where she was able to provide um, editorial services at a savings. And she was able to get my books before anyone else. And um, Brilliant. Yeah, and she's really great with helping me, um, making sure there's not too many, you know, plot holes or anything that's glaring. She's very nitpicky. Her, she's known as nitpicker. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out. I mean, once you get started, and there's people that can see that you're producing work regularly and they like your stuff, then there's opportunities for you to, you know, work with those people. And you've since so if the, if the first book comes out in December 2016. It's fair to say you've been pretty prolific since then, because looking at your website, yeah. you've got oh, man, a lot so of books out. <laughs> <laughs> How many is it now? I've got a lot of books. Um, I have now, let's see, 19 titles. Wow, um, that's incredible in such a short space of time. It is, but but there's caveat. There, there are some of them that are um, novellas. There's four novellas. The rest are full-length novels. And I also had that one year ahead of time where I wrote for th- three years, okay, for, wrote yeah. for a year, mm-hmm. yeah. those three books ready. And then also my first year and a half, I wrote a lot. I basically had no life and I wrote a ton and I suffered from TOS because of that. Um, I don't know if you know what TOS is. It's called thoracic outlet syndrome and it's when the muscles in the shoulders and neck and chest tighten up because you're always doing All this. Right. All right. 
And then I was getting aching feelings in my arm. My arms were tingling, going numb at night. I was like, this isn't sustainable. I can't do this. So I slowed down. I mean, how fast were you, were you writing? So help me. And how, how much were you writing at that point to get that kind of injury? There was a, my best day was third best. I can't even say it was best day because it was a terrible idea. But <laughs> 13,000 words wow, wow. <laughs> was my, my biggest day. But I now do 2,000 words a day. And I try not to do too much more than that. Because even if I'm on a roll and I feel like I can, I don't. Just because I pay for it physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah. if you want to do this long term and make a career out of it, then you really have to take care of your body. And I, I have a few author colleagues who are really suffering as well and have to slow down, not because they've chosen to, but because their bodies have told them mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah. So, so what is what is your uh, process? Like, how much time do you spend planning out a book, or do you do you like plot out every detail, or do you sort of have a rough outline and then find out where it goes as you're writing it? I kind of. I don't do massive detail, but I at least have an outline for each chapter, like basically just a paragraph for each chapter. So I know all of the major beats and then stuff inevitably happens when you're writing where you all of a sudden things open up and you all of a sudden have something that you can tug on that you wasn't there before. That's really interesting. So I like to keep a bit of flexibility, but I always know where, what, how it's going to end. I generally don't start writing until I, I know the climax and the ending yeah, right. because if I don't have that. Then I get lost and I get frustrated and end up wasting time, wasting words. Mm-hmm. So, and when it comes to like writing a series, I'll always, I can start book one and have that book one outline done and I'll be working on outline two and three while I'm right, while I'm doing my word count so that there's always um, momentum happening. And I think I read somewhere that you, you, um, you tend to write like a kind of jigsaw and you'll do not necessarily yeah. write it in from chapter one to chapter 12 or whatever you'll do, you'll do bits about and you'll, and you'll yeah, kind of work it where I totally it fits in after. Yeah, I do work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, once I have that outline and I have an out- and I have a blurb for each chapter, some chapters really excited about writing and I have a very clear idea of what it looks like. And so I'll just dive straight to those chapters and I'll skip everything else. And then I start, it's like building a quilt. Mm-hmm. I'll just jump around and um, go to the areas that I speak most clearly. And other times I'll write linearly just because it, it starts to come out that way. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of kind of jumping around because I started writing linearly, starting with chapter one. And what I learned was that when, by the time I got to the end of my book, I had to rewrite the first few chapters because so many things had changed that the, the beginning didn't work anymore. Yeah. So I like to go to the more like pivotal scenes and kind of get those out and know um, what are the little bits that I have to plant early in the book that I wasn't aware of when I just wrote the outline. And then presumably you can fix any inconsistencies in the edit at the edit stage of that yeah yeah i actually find it easier if you don't write if i don't write in a straight line Mm. i i end up um getting it done faster and writing a better uh chapter one and two and you know entry to the story and do you find the two thousand words a day is it always easy or are you um you know do do you suffer from writer's block and things like that sometimes I don't suffer from writer's block. I'm one of those people that doesn't totally understand that term. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have so many stories and so many like wild imaginings that I don't think I have literally, I tell my writer, my readers that I have enough story ideas to keep me writing for 10 years. Literally. I, I, there's so many that I feel drowned by them sometimes. Um, But in terms of sitting down and actually getting the word count out. Yes. Sometimes it's a struggle. If I haven't slept well, if I'm tired or if I'm emotionally, you know, drained or distracted by something else going on, I do find it hard to get into the story. But in that case, 
I usually say to myself, okay, don't go for 2000 words, go for 500 words. You can do that. And when I start writing the 500 words, I find that it just, once it's like turning on the faucet, then it just comes and I more often than not can hit my word count. Yeah. I think it was Stephen King said in, on writing something about, uh, some days it's like trying to start up a really old car and it takes mm-hmm. a while to get going, but once it's going, yeah. it'll run beautifully and it's it's that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, it's totally like that. It's like you just have to take a first step mm-hmm. and then it gets easier. And and how do you keep track of all your ideas then? So you've got all these ideas coming at you, but you're in the middle of writing this book. So do you do you, have, do you write them all down somewhere and, and go back to them later on or what? They do, if it's a good idea, it usually doesn't leave me and I don't have to write it down. But once it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, I remember this story idea that I had when I was 16, um, you know, and I have to actually turn it into something that's not just a dream. Then I start to like, I use things like Evernote. Um, I use post-it notes, sticky notes, and I plaster them all over the wall. I take photos of those. Um, I'm going to try... Um, a couple of different things. There's uh, some softwares like Aeon, which is timeline, like chronology, like something like, like what you guys have invented with the notebook is fantastic. I, my desk is kind of messy with notes everywhere. And I have like a stack of, let's see, eight notebooks here right now. And they're all partially like, <laughs> <laughs> so I am not the most organized person in the world, but once it comes to actually getting that story to a place where I can use it, I actually use Excel um, wow. because I can put my, my, um, what's it called? My outline, um, my book outline, this, the beats that I like yeah. to hit on one side and then fill in all of the scenes in kind of that patchwork way. And I find that once I have that all filled in and those questions answered, then it's really easy to start writing. And do you like to finish a book, uh, before you'll show it to anyone else? Or do you, do you share bits of it with with other people as you're writing it? My first drafts, I think maybe all readers, writers feel this way, but my first drafts really suck. So <laughs> Absolutely. I know that they do. And so usually um, my developmental editor, Nicola is the only one who sees my first drafts and she's so she's hard on me, but she's also forgiving because she understands her first draft. And, you know, when she gets, uh, sends me back my feedback and I've gone through it all and I've made those changes, I start to feel a little better about the book. And I feel like that's kind of a normal process because your first draft is kind of supposed to suck. <laughs> so, I mean, how many drafts do you tend to do then before you think? Uh, I think it's probably I do about three really- solid drafts, okay. but I don't rewrite a lot. I will um, spit out the first draft and then do a developmental edit and just kind of make sure that the story makes sense. And then I'll send it to um, a copy editor who will catch like line editing and anything um, that's to kind of messy and clean that up and then I'll let it sit for a bit and read it over one more time. And usually stuff comes out. If you, I find that that period of letting something sit, I didn't really have the, the luxury of that in the first couple of years of my career, because I was just trying to get these launches out, but now I do. And I think it's really valuable because you will come back to your own work. At least I find mm-hmm. and go, I don't understand what I was thinking yeah. when I that <laughs> and obviously my readers aren't going to get it either so <laughs> i mean i think that especially when you're self-published actually there's a discipline in mm-hmm. in saying this is it finished because i know personally as Tarek will attest <laughs> you know i'm i'm very bad at like having finished something supposedly yeah. but then i keep going back to it. i can't leave it alone and i suppose if in the traditional publishing route you'd have 
someone saying, no, this is it, this is what you need to do, here's your notes, do that. But on the, yeah. if you're self-published, you have to be a bit more disciplined and say to yourself, no, and have more confidence, I suppose, yeah. to say, this is it, this is finished. This, this is, is as good as I can make yeah. it right now and no, that's hard yeah. to know when to stop. Yes. I have to pass the red face test. Like, by the time I read it over one more time, like before publishing, if I'm feeling red-faced about anything, then we'll go red like, oh, that's really bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I'm going to adopt that one. <laughs> I, tell you, I find if I read it out loud, that's I, I catch yeah. so much more than if I just read it in my head. Oh, my gosh, you're so right. I, I recently um, started doing that because I, I went to a recording studio and did a recording test just to see if I could tell my own stories for audio because I'm bringing out a new, another trilogy into audio. I'm like, this is a good chance to try it and see if I like it. And I started reading a book that hadn't been prepared for audio. And I was like, oh, I've got to edit this book again. Because when you read it, it, it does. All this stuff jumps out at you. Like, this doesn't read as smoothly as it does in my head. So I think that's really critical. How do they change it for audiobook? What kind of changes do they make for that? Well, the book, I actually have it right here, Salt and Stone. Oh, I'm, nice. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I've got this like flag in it now and it's full of like red marker um, stains because I started reading it out loud to myself just to see more to see if I could read the story and, you know, tell it in a nice way. And I just kept stumbling over a few things and thinking, you know, just a few changes here and there would make this so much smoother. Mm-hmm. And there's a rhythm that happens like there is a lyricism to reading a story out loud that you just don't get when you read it in your head. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, once you start crossing over into the audiobook realm, it forces you to take that next step and become even more um, critical of your own stuff and make things even tighter. I think especially with dialogue, that's true, because yeah. when you say that out loud, you suddenly realise sometimes no human being would ever yeah. talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I find that such a hard thing because, it, I mean, as you say, it's it's never as anyone talks, but you're not trying to write super realistic. You're, it's a kind of weird halfway house of... Like yeah. interesting, fun stuff to read yeah. that's smarter than anyone who exists in real life and is wittier, but yeah. not too witty. And it's yeah, I, I really struggle with that stuff. Yeah, it is hard to know what sounds realistic exactly. and what's just hokey. I know. That's, yeah. I think that's something you find um, for yourself in your own writing, like it's part of your voice. Because I have a co-author, and his writing is so dramatic. When I read it, I'm like, wow, like this is reads like a soap opera. <laughs> but it, it sounds good, like because it's his story and it works for his style. But for me, I'm so much more understated. And to bring our bring our our um, styles together was such a big challenge. And how how does that work writing with someone else? So do you do a chapter each or? Uh, I was trying. I, I needed to produce this spinoff story in a timely manner, and I just found that I couldn't write fast enough and keep the the project that I had on my um, at a rate that I was happy with. And I had this author, uh, Aaron D. Schneider, that I that I had published um, a, a series of his work two years ago, mm-hmm. and um, I also worked with him for some combat scenes because I don't know anything about combat, and I wrote um, a. Uh, a series for Michael Anderley's universe, the Oriseran universe, and it had aerial combat scenes and like swordplay and stuff, and I was clueless. So I went on Upwork and I found this fellow who was, um, you know, he was great with military sci-fi and he he was great with um, like choreo- fight choreography in writing and stuff. And so I asked him to help me out 
with these scenes in this in this other in this other series and he did a great job i really loved his stuff and so we got on the phone together and i was like well what's your what's your goal what's your deal and he's like oh being a full-time writer is my dream and um so i was like well i have a little indie publishing house um you know why don't we work together and so he wrote this three book series and that's out in the world now. And then I was working on this other series, uh, book one, uh, it's called Born of Metal. It's a spinoff character from the Elemental Stories. And um, I thought of him because style really suited the high kind of high combat, high tense story that it was. So I was like, well, why don't we work together for this? I've got a rough outline. Go in and, you know, let me know what you think of it. So we worked together to get the outline to a place where we were happy. And I was happy that it would mesh with the world that I'd already created. And then I gave him his head on the first draft and I basically came in um, after him as he was writing it okay. and did, did a lot of editing. And I added certain scenes and, you know, just basically we worked together uh, one, one after the other going through the manuscript and, um, and it turned out, uh, I think pretty well. So yeah, it was interesting. Excellent. Yeah. No, it, 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 we've spoken to a few people haven't yeah. they, that, have, that have co-written and everyone seems to have a different approach. Yeah. To some how... folk did like a chapter each and one wrote a chapter, then we drafted it and went back and forth or. Mm-hmm. or I, I think that can work if your voices sound really similar. Yeah. Cause we spoke to um, Tim Levin who was saying that he and Chris Golden did a, a series of books and one of them would focus on the kind of world. Mum would focus on the kind of smaller parts yeah. of it, the characters. The characters, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Tim said he 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 loved the world building aspect of things. And yeah, Chris was that would work really well, actually. Focused on the characters, yeah. Or, like, why not use your strengths and the things that interest you the most? Yeah, exactly. Focus on that. And so all of your books, are, I think it's, I think I'm right in saying that all of your books are that sort of young adult urban fantasy uh, genre. Is that right? Yeah. The ser- they are dominant, but Michael Anderley would tell you that the series he published is more epic fantasy than urban. It's kind of packaged like an urban fantasy story, but it reads a bit more like an epic fantasy story. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but is is that the sort of stuff that you read, or do you do you read across? I read genres? everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything. I read a lot of things. I read. Um, I love Stephen King. I know lots of people do. I, <laughs> I don't actually like horror, but I love his prose. And I love his writing style. And I learn so much when I re- read him. And I read nonfiction and I read pop fiction and I read other, you know, fellow indie fantasy yeah. stuff and whatever strikes me at the moment, I'll pick up and read him. I'm, I'm just about to start Ryan Scow's like post-apocalyptic age of Exodus um, story and I'm a bit scared because <laughs> I've read this stuff before and it's very intense. And I'm- <laughs> but yeah, I'll read everything and anything. And that would be my advice actually is like, even if you're not sure you might be attracted to a certain genre, give it a try. If it, if it repels you, fine, but you might learn something that surprises you. Well, I, I have to admit that for years I avoided Stephen King because I'm not yeah, a horror fan. And then suddenly I read one of his books and was blown away. You know, it, it's so much more than what yeah. you would think oh, of as horror yeah. it's it's amazing yeah there's a there's a book club at work and um they were asking for for ideas for for the for the books and i said eleven twenty two sixty three is a great oh. book and everybody was like oh stephen king no. and it went on the, but it went on on the list and the number of people that have said it was not what they expected it was brilliant it was you know yeah. it was a crazy really well-written story bittersweet ending blah 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 and yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, he is very surprising to people who expect horror. I, mean, I couldn't put that book down. And there were several of, it, of his that were like that. Like I can't face the like hardcore horror. Like I haven't read it because I think <laughs> it's 
years, but I, I read everything else that that's kind of under, just under the hardcore horror. And I feel like I because I get so much out of it as a writer. So if we sort of jump right back to the start, I suppose, and you published the book in December 2016. Mm-hmm. And it, how did you, uh, you were talking about you merged the, the writing with your marketing what what did you do to make that a success? How did you do on the marketing yeah. side of things? So in twenty sixteen, well, I guess this would have been the early twenty seventeen that I was doing this. Um, things changed so fast in this industry, but I feel like you could probably still do this and be successful. So I had published and book two was done and ready to go, but I didn't publish it on Amazon. I actually put it up on Insta Freebie. It was called Insta Freebie at the time. Is it still called? I think it's called Prolific Works now. Right. And I, I gave it away for two weeks and I didn't advertise it or anything. I just, I put it into um, these free kind of promote group promotions and I ended up getting like 2000 people on my email list and downloading Born of Fire. And so when I published Born of Fire, I took it off of um, Insta Freebie, published it on Amazon. And then I sent those 2000 people the link to Born of Water and said, Hey, did you like Born of Fire? Then you'll love Born of Water. And my sales literally went from like this itty bitty bump to just this massive, like sudden spike. Brilliant. That's um, fantastic. Yeah, it was amazing. I was watching it going, Whoa, what happened? But it worked. So (laughs) (laughs) lucky me. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you first start out you're like i have no idea what i'm doing (laughs) this works and so that got me got my newsletter list started and um i kind of just carried on from there and i used a lot for the first year i did no ams ads i did no facebook ads all i did was um party promotions basically either swaps with other authors or paid features in um Places like uh, Book Gorilla, and okay. I mean, there's a gazillion of those out there, and that got me through my first year. And actually, my my goal when I when once I launched financially was to surpass my income working in the corporate world. Yeah, and I managed to do that just using those platforms. Wow! So, and and how yeah. long how long did it take you to be able to say, yeah, I can I can make a living off this? No, this is. Uh, I would say by my fifth month. Cool. That's that's fantastic. It was, yeah, it actually happened fast. But then the first time you start to see a downturn, you kind of have this little panic. (laughs) (laughs) It's over. over. (laughs) Um, Were you selling the books at at, at sort of a cheap price or were they sort of standard price? My first book has almost always been 99 cents. Um, I did do a short experiment with it at 3.99. And it did okay. But what I found was that once I started advertising, your conversion um, goes way down when you're selling a book for three ninety nine. You're putting money behind it, so I put it back to ninety nine cents, and it made money anyways because it's my longest. It's ninety three thousand words, so it's a fairly long book. So it it, it makes a lot in Kindle Unlimited, um, right. and then I and then I charge three ninety nine for the rest of the books in the series, okay. and four ninety nine for um, the spin off series that are. So there's like the six books from the main series, and now each of those characters is getting their own trilogy. Right. Okay. So wow. those trilogies are four ninety nine each. Um, so for Kindle Unlimited stuff, for the listeners out there who might be wondering about whether that's something to go into or not, could you could you give us a, a bit about how that worked and what your thoughts on it were? Yeah, it's basically um, well for the re- from the reader perspective, if you are a big 
reader. I think it's ten dollars. Sorry, I'm I'm not in, in pounds. I don't know what it is in pounds. <laughs> I think it's seven ninety-nine. Okay, um, a month. It's kind of like Netflix. So you pay this monthly fee, and then anything that's registered in that Kindle Unlimited program, you get to pull off the shelf and read it without any charge. And um, for authors, it's great for certain genres um, because there are a lot of certain genres, um, certain genres that are uh, in Kindle Unlimited, like young adult is one of them, because I think parents buy um, their teenagers a membership or um, I don't know, it just tends to be one of those genres that is high readership in Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And you, get, if you're, if you register your book, it's a, um, a 90 day period where it's registered and you can basically tick a little box that has it continually register. So you don't have to keep re-registering it if you want to keep your book in it and you get paid per page, but you also get paid by purchases for people who are not in Kindle Unlimited. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely recommend it for certain genres, but I would just say do your research and make sure that your genre belongs in there. So I suppose the longer the book, then the more potential you have of making money off it because you get paid by the page. Yeah. Yeah. The one, one thing I like about it is that, um, if your writing isn't good, it doesn't hook the rate, the reader at the back and you won't get paid. So there's a motivation to produce stories that are really good quality. Yeah. And I like a lot about the program. There's lots of criticisms on the program too. And I think it's just one of those things that's personal to you and you have to decide when you launch, if you're going to go wide and pursue that, yeah. uh, or, or go all in with Kindle Unlimited and just keep filling those, you know, hungry readers that yeah. way. I mean, I think there's there's probably not a perfect system out there, whether it's traditional publishing or doing it yourself and Kindle, etc. But I think, as you say, it's all about working out what what suits you best and yeah. what what are the what are the downsides you can live with or you or don't really apply to you as much, etc. Yeah, yeah, totally. And even if you are still thinking, you know, after you learn about this, you're thinking that you'd rather go trad, I. I don't have anything bad to say about that either because I've never gone down that road and I know it works fine for a lot of authors and they like having the support team and they don't want to think about the marketing. So that again is another kind of author mm-hmm. that you, know, you can make that would, choice. Would you, would you want, if a, if a traditional publisher came to you, would you be interested or not? Uh, it would be tough to say yes, I, I think. Yeah. It would be tough to lose control of my own series. Like if it was a one-off book um, and they were willing to put some marketing juice behind it, then I would consider it. But I'm like kind of 70 ish percent. I'd probably say no to most offers yeah, yeah. because the, the royalty split, it doesn't make sense. I mean, you might make five to 7% as a rookie tra- traditionally pubbed author and if your book doesn't do well, they're not really that motivated to keep publishing your stuff. I mean, they put their marketing budgets toward their big names like the Dan Browns and the Stephen yeah. Yeah. you know, because they're a sure thing. So it is kind of up to you to a certain degree anyways to get your book out there in front of readers. And yeah. that's if you're going to be doing that work, then you might as well take 70%. Yeah, you know? yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that, that's actually quite an interesting way of saying it because I think you're right. There's so many folk go down the traditional route and... I suppose see the book go out there to to die on on shelves when there's yeah. if there's not a big push behind it is it's hard there's so many books out there making impact it's difficult but I think I think there's also you know there definitely is still a degree of of snobbery I suppose between oh, you know yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're not a traditionally published author then yeah. you're not an author in yeah. the eyes of mm-hmm. some some of these people yeah. you know I think that'll take a bit of time to change um, yeah. but it will change it has to because. 
in the landscape that we're looking at now, I mean, there are indies who are making incredible money doing yeah. this oh, yeah. and telling great stories. And I know personally quite a few trad authors who've left traditional and actually gone to indie. Yeah. Um, um, John Grisham, I'm sure his latest book, he, he went yeah. straight to the readers himself. He sold it, you know, directly did it because he said, well, why should I, I'm a big enough name yeah. now, why do I need to give... 70% yeah. of my, of my royalties away, which makes sense. I can totally see that. Yeah. It does make sense. And it's a big disruptor for this industry. And I yeah. think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out over the next you know, decade. But but you also have your own, you are also a publisher. You publish, do you publish other books as well? Not just your I own? Did, I did publish Aaron's trilogy. Because yeah. um, I, I really wanted, I believed in him, in his talent. And I wanted to see if I could, you know, um, help him towards his goal. But it was really challenging because it was a different genre um, totally than mine. It's still fantasy, but it was military sci-fi and, well, actually more like a military epic fantasy mash. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, his readers are totally different. It's not like most of, there's not a lot of crossover. So it was kind of starting from scratch. And what I found was that being an indie author and producing regularly, this is my full-time job, um, is so demanding already that, it was like starting a pen name and juggling these two brands. And I feel like um, it was a really interesting experiment, but I probably wouldn't do it again. I would want to pass Aaron over to somebody like Michael Anderley, for example, Mm -hmm. who has that machine going and has a team of people that can, um, that, you know, does the marketing side of it so that he can write. And yeah. And going forward, what, what's, what's next for you? Oh man, I've been <laughs> I've been in such a um, so timely that you should ask that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been in such a um, royal this week. Like I started an audiobook review team, and that's requiring a lot of admin time. And I'm really excited about audio, but um, it is taking away from my writing time. So I think I'm going to have to look into getting a PA. Mm-hmm. And I just started making um, kind of a job description and looking at all the things that I could pass on to, to a second person. And there's a lot there. So um, that'll probably be my next step. Um, and just allowing me to continue to write, fo- keep my focus on the story rather than yeah. getting distracted by all these kind of day-to-day things. There's things that I probably won't necessarily let go of anytime soon, like Facebook ads. I did ha- hire a team last year and earlier this year. Um, and they did a great job, but it was very expensive. Yeah. And I also felt like at the end of a promotion, I still didn't know what happened. And I didn't know what worked. And <laughs> yeah. so I took a course and I, two, two courses actually, and I started doing them myself and I started feeling better because I don't like feeling like, A, I don't know what's going on. Um, B, I have no control. And I mean, at least you feel like you have a little bit of control if you're in that dashboard trying to figure it out yourself, even if it is confusing. And if you, you know, do it for a year and you feel like you understand it a little bit better then maybe at that point, it's good to pass it off to somebody else. But for yeah. now, I'm going to keep, do I'm going to keep holding my skills at that. Th- this is a purely something that we encountered when we were doing our <laughs> Facebook ads for uh, the, the, yeah. the notebook. But uh, what struck us was, you know, social media is great for us some things. And obviously it does work. Facebook ads definitely bring you yeah. in revenue. But there's yeah. also a subset of people that seem to just want to comment to to pull down whatever it is that's yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Uh, do you, oh, I yeah. mean, d- do you get that as well in your ads as oh, well? For sure, yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> I don't get that many. I mostly get lots of positive comments, but I do get the odd um, negative comment. And I, in the beginning, I try to reason with that person and yeah. you know, myself or whatever. Um, and I realize quickly that that it, they don't actually care what your reason is. They just thrive on negativity for whatever yeah. reason yeah. is going on in their own life. So I just delete them. We did we came it, yeah. to that. Yeah, we uh, we did exactly that. I, I kept trying to engage with them, and then I was like, "What? Why am I wasting my time?" They just want to push a button. Yeah, they exactly. just want a reaction. They don't yeah. care about making a point or. It's so it. not personal. It's more exactly. about that. Whatever's going on with them. Um, you know? So, is there any, any kind of interest for you writing anything other than books? Would you go into screenplays well, or? I did write a screenplay a couple of years ago. I have a friend who's um, a screenwriter in LA. He was um, actually nominated for an Oscar uh, oh, for wow. Gorillas. Oh, wow. Cool. Tab, yeah. He's a friend of mine because um, we lived in the same small town in the Rockies and used to get together and talk writing and he's brilliant. And um, so I wrote a, a screenplay before I started writing these books and sent it to him to look at. And what I realized after talking with him is that, is that I, I would love that. And in fact, my mom, she always says, you you wrote nothing but dialogue when you were a kid. You should just be writing screenplays. <laughs> uh, so, but I, I would find that when you pass off your screenplay to the team that's going to be creating it, um, this is coming from, this is feedback from Tab, it ends up being quite different from what you created in the first place because there's a there's a big group of people who come together to make something like that come to life. And, you know, by the time you actually see it on the big screen, uh, it's not necessarily your vision, your vision anymore. It's a bunch of other people's vision too. And hopefully they've done it justice. And, but more often than not, it's not always the case. And tabs, um, worked with Disney. Like he, he did, he wrote like Tarzan and brother bear and Atlantis and all those films. And he's like, he's proud of them and he did fantastic work. And I'm like, Oh, I this one scene. I really loved it. And he's like, yeah, I didn't write that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's just a different creative process and you have to have a really thick skin, even thicker than writing novels and, um, and be willing to kind of let everybody else have a go at it because there's professionals that know what's going to sell, you know, as a TV series or, you know, or a movie, whatever it is you're making you don't necessarily know. So, yeah. And I suppose going from, from from someone like yourself who you've got complete control over everything from writing it to when it goes out, it's, you know, you're not going through a publisher, you're doing it all yourself, so you it's your own mm-hmm. project, your own baby. Yeah, handing that over to someone else to change, I could see that being quite a difference, yeah. That would be hard if you're really yeah. attached to it, I think. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and I mean, you... I think, I mean, it is a business, right? You yeah. you produce ideas, produce a screenplay, you hope it sells, it might get optioned and then, you know, never made. Mm. And is that going to break your heart or are you okay? You're going to come up with another idea and keep trying and so to different, a different um, kind of mentality, I think, in creation. Yeah. But if, if HBO phoned you up tomorrow and said, we want to make Elementals into a TV series. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm just so excited. I mean, if you look at my Facebook ads, the comment that is said the most is, please make a movie. And I'm just like, I wish I had that control. <laughs> I don't. And do you have any uh, plans to, to do something out with the, that sort of universe entirely, a completely different uh, Yeah. Oh, man, I have so many ideas. I would love to um, write that dystopian story that I was started like all those years ago. Um, 
I I want to write two more spin-off stories in this ep- in more of an epic fantasy realm. I recently went through the whole Game of Thrones series and I loved it and it inspired me to, you know, start planning an epic um epic fantasy. I don't know what is all going to happen, but um I think I'm, what I'm going to end up doing is writing these spin-off character stories for probably the next 5 years. <laughs> 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 because I have this um character from the Siren's Curse, actually two characters from the Siren's Curse series, there's a 5-book series that, and a 3-book series, two separate characters. Um and I really reasonably can bring about 6 books out a year without killing myself. So probably I'm kind of slotted for the next 5 years and all these other ideas that I have I'm just going to have to table them for now and um hope that I can get to them one day. Six books a year that's that's incredible. That's up something to, yeah. to aspire to definitely. <laughs> um we, we like to end each podcast with a, a couple of things. Um first of all uh, just to ask you quickly what was uh, the last book you read? Oh. The last book I read was Carrie. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Excellent. Good one. Yeah. Uh, I read it in like 2 days. <laughs> <laughs> I've not I've never read Carrie actually. I should read it. Oh, it's excellent. I love the film. It's her, her published work. It's so good. It's very um it, like in line with his earlier stuff. I don't know if you've read Cujo or Salem's Lot or mm-hmm. uh, At Cemetery, but they're sad. They're a bit sad. Mm-hmm. Um but they're very good. Uh, I would highly recommend it. And actually, to all of those readers out there, as all the listeners there and writer, aspiring writers, read *The Body* by Stephen King. Okay, it's the story that became *Stand by, by Me*. Yeah, yeah, is phenomenal. I've read it six times, and I learn something new every time I read it. Oh, and cool. it's short, so it won't take long for you to read it. Excellent, good advice. And um, yeah. the, the other thing we like to do at the end of a podcast is. Uh, do very quick fire questions so it's a sort of one or the other um okay. thing so um star wars or star trek star wars okay. uh maze runner or hunger games ooh hunger games uh tv or cinema mm mm-hmm. 10 years ago it would have been cinema now it's tv <laughs> <laughs> tv always wins in this yeah one. i know yeah <laughs> Um, uh, and uh, last one, uh, fancy restaurant or takeaway? Oh gosh, I married the biggest foodie in the world, so <laughs> I have to say fancy restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Ibelin Noor. Yeah, really good to chat to her. Yeah, I thought it was a. Really interesting chat. Yeah, she's really really nice to chat to. Some really interesting advice on people who are wanting to go down the Amazon Kindle store route. Yeah, self publishing. I mm. mean, she just had that confidence to just go for it. Didn't even consider traditional publishing, no. but she's made a huge success of it. And it was really interesting hearing all the different methods that she used to make sure it was a success, including yeah. that idea of sort of publishing those first few books within a couple of months of each other but they were all a route into her series you could pick up any one yeah. that you wanted like the avengers almost yeah that's right sort of building the team exactly. and then, and then you what you read that yeah. final book at the end yeah no so um it was it was really good and if you're into urban fantasy do check out her books mm-hmm. um we'll put a link to her website which has where you can buy all her books or you can get them on the amazon kindle etc 
but we'll put a link to our website in the bio. We'll also put all the links to the various uh, sites that she mentioned there yeah. um, regarding how she was able to market and get get. Because, of course, if you're, the, the big thing about doing it yourself is you have to do it yourself. Yeah. The marketing is important. And I think it's interesting that if you do it yourself, the, the, the number of books, having that group of books in a short space of time I think it's a quite important thing to grab your audience. Yeah, I think you've definitely got to keep giving them new content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to keep their attention. And then it shows that, that Abby's built up a good following 19 there. books in three years. 19 books in three years is, is quite yeah. a rate, but it works for her. It's, absolutely. Yeah. She's done fantastically from it. So thanks again to Abby for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Who have we got on next week? Next week we have Christopher Golden. Yeah, Chris was kind enough to speak to us about his writing career, which includes uh, horror books, uh, fantasy books, young adult books, comics. Tie-ins. Yeah, movie tie-ins, anthologies. He's, d- he's done he's, everything. Yeah, he's he's another person that's written a lot yeah. of stuff. <laughs> um, but he was, again, someone that gave us a lot of useful information about how to try and break in. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the... If I had to sum it up in one word, it would be hustle. <laughs> that's, that's the sneak preview for next week's podcast. Um, but do tune in because it's a really good one. And we had a really fun chat with yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, before we go, uh, we'd also like to say that obviously this podcast is free. It's uh, something that uh, Tarek and I do in our spare time. And uh, we do mention the page one notebook quite a lot, which is the notebook we, we made for writers that helps support the podcast. So, um, if you are interested uh, in writing, then please do check it out. The link to our website is in the bio. Yep. There is an offer on this month to celebrate the launch of season two of the podcast. It's pod 10, P-O-D-1-0. If you enter that when you uh, add the notebook to the cart and check out, then you'll get a discount of 10% on your notebook. So please do check that out. And please also... Uh, be sure to tell anyone you know yeah. that likes writing or likes listening to authors or screenwriters, etc. Spread the word. Yeah. Tell them about the podcast. Please rate us. Please subscribe, follow. All of that helps us boost up the ratings. We want to get this podcast out yeah. as wide as possible because that helps us uh, find new people to speak to and keep recording these episodes for you. Yeah. As Marco says, the page one notebook is really there to help support the podcast. We couldn't do it without you guys. If you are a fan of it, please do tell your friends. Yeah, no, we really appreciate your support. Um, and as always, thanks to Simon Stokes for his uh, audio assistance. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk or send us a tweet to at right underscore gear. And uh, we'll just leave you with an advert for the Page One Notebook and we'll see you next week. See you later. The Blank Page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. 
As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.